Welcome to the podcast of 10-Minute Theology, an attempt to think carefully and critically about big questions like God, faith, doubt, and the Bible, all in 10 minutes at a time, with me, Joel Wentz. So I haven't done anything quite like this on this podcast yet. I I usually have series planned out that are kind of uh, ideas, um, things that I'm wrestling with, things that I want to teach, concepts about theology or the Bible, whatever. I've never really engaged in real time with a with a current event, so to speak, in the church before. So, but something happened uh, recently that I I just have not been able to stop thinking about, and that is this statement on social justice that has been pioneered by a very well known pastor called John MacArthur. Uh, and there's at the time that I am recording this right now, there's over 7,500 other ministers and pastors and thinkers who have signed on to this thing, including a few decently well-known names. And you can Google this if you haven't heard of this. Well, you probably have, but if you haven't heard of this, you can Google it and find it um, really quickly and read through it yourself. It's not even very long. But man, this is creating a huge stir uh, in the evangelical world especially, but even outside of it as people looking looking in to the church. And, and man, like I said, I have not been able to stop thinking about it, and I have some thoughts. I have some strong convictions about this statement, um, and I just wanted to step through it a little bit um, because even if you haven't heard about it, this is still a really important event and if you're if you if you are interested in the church that is and uh, in kind of what's happening in our cultural moment especially around evangelicalism which if you listen to this podcast I'm guessing maybe you are interested in that um, then this is just really important for a few reasons that I want to talk about so um, I if you haven't read it or aren't familiar with it I'd encourage you to pause this and check it out and then come back for the rest uh, for a few minutes I'm gonna I'm gonna talk through some parts of this or you can even pull it up while you're listening and kind of click through it if you're interested because I have it right here in front of me it's broken into I think 14 or 15 articles, and each article has an affirmation and a denial of something, and they're topically oriented. So I'm not going to go through all of them. That would take more than 10 minutes. I just um, have noticed some really, I read through it, I've noticed some really strong themes and a few specific things I want to point out. And if the title of this podcast didn't give it away, I I think this thing is a disaster. Uh, This is just a huge mess of a statement. Um, And I'm going to make the case why I think that. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of people who disagree with me, but I, I, I really think that this is this is just not a good a good moment right now for the evangelical church. Um, so first of all, right out of the gate, um, the first article uh, kind of tips its hand to show where this thing, the tone of this thing, and where it's going. And right away, they toss out terms like postmodern ideologies intersectionality, radical feminism, and critical race theory. So it sounds like they're trying to engage with these academic concepts, but wow, are they playing fast and loose with these terms. I mean, they're just coming out of the gate with these loaded ideas that are very complex and complicated and have scores of journals and books about, and they just are tucking it into this little sentence. And so one of my very immediate critiques of this is just these terms need to be at least an attempt to define them or something, but rather, rather they're just kind of thrown out there in a, as like a blunt uh, hammer. Uh, but these are very, very, um, like I said, complex terms. And I'm not even t- quite sure what they're talking about because postmodern ideologies can capture a 
ton of different ideas that some of which are contradictory. So you've got to be clear about what you are actually talking about. And critical race theory, for example, to say that it's just de facto inconsistent with biblical teachings, yet another broad term, is just sloppy. It's just sloppy and not careful uh, and um, really not a good way to even start a statement. So that's, that's my first kind of issue with it. Um, and uh, it goes on to, similarly, it goes on to take a swipe at uh, relativism, which is something that I've noticed, especially conservative Christians, like to toss out postmodern and relativistic in kind of in as synonyms, which they really aren't, um, but it's, it's just sloppy use of terminology. So uh, the, ar- the articles move through, um, and generally, I should say one positive thing about this before, because I don't have much positive to say about it, but generally speaking, I actually don't have a lot of issues on paper with the affirmations in each article. I mean, a lot of them are decently written, um, kind of expounding of certain theological orthodox core ideas, and just taken by themselves on paper. There's not a lot in the affirmations that I like take huge issue with. So, uh, you know, uh, that's that's at least worth saying. Uh, so I can show at least some kind of balance in this in this critique because uh, I don't have a lot else uh, great to say about it. Uh, going on, uh, they move through, uh, definition of justice. Uh, they talk about God's law. Um, especially in this article in God's law, they do a very, yet again, a very hasty definition of sin, very, very broad accusations about what is and is not sin or a violation of God's commands. Um, they talk about the commandments and the two commandments where Jesus distills the law down to love of God and love of neighbor. And they kind of try to make a case that anything that's not directly a violation of those commands is, is not sinful, which I think on paper I agree with, but you're using a very, honestly, kind of a vague summary of the law to love God and love neighbor. So then the next question is, okay, well, what do those things mean? And who are you to tell me uh, that you are not violating those things by these tiny little paragraphs here? It's just, it's very hasty. It's a very quick and way too broad definition of a huge concept like sin. Um, and you start to, the agenda of the paper, if you aren't familiar with it by this point, starts to come in pretty clearly. But it's all just a tangled mess because is sin, is, is it individual breaking of God's law? Is it corporate? They kind of try to have their cake and eat it too by acknowledging the corporate role that sins can sometimes play, but they use a lot of individualistic language to to narrowly define that sin is things seems to be things that only individuals can commit, although they kind of say communities can commit sin, but then they basically say you can't be held accountable for sins that communities commit. But what if you're part of the community? Where, where do you draw the line around that? Who's responsible for this? This is, these are the, this is the mess that this is kind of stirring up. Um, and in this article, uh, one of the questions I have is, can someone passively sin or can someone sin without knowing it? Because the Bible makes room for that. In the Old Testament, there are sacrificial codes to make sacrifices for sins you didn't know that you committed or were part of. So it seems like they're starting to part ways with even some of the biblical concepts here that they say that they are relying on. Um, It's very confusing. Uh, And there's a clear, like I said, there's a clear individualistic frame to all this, which I have issues with that, um, but I especially have issues with not acknowledging it. Um, acknowledge the individualistic frame you're using, at least if you're going to try to go down that road, but it's just not acknowledged. It's it's called sin broadly. They've named it. They have defined it. And then they're going to use this definition to go on and talk about some of these other articles. Uh, so, so they actually have an article called Sin, Article 5. Uh, they define the gospel. They talk about salvation. Um, 
And then in Article 8, this is where things start to really, for me, unravel. This is where things start to get bad. Um, They actually name that political and social activism is not a central part of the church's mission, which is a huge statement. Again, it begs definition. When you say political or social activism, what are you talking about? Because a lot of the people on that sign this document are pretty politically active around issues like abortion, right? So, so, and this is tipping my hand in my conclusion, but this is one of the issues that starts to be very apparent is this is, seems to be very hypocritical and selective and even coded because we're talking about race here. When they, when they use these words, they're, they really have issues with issues around race and this and social justice, but they're, they're calling it broadly political and social activism and saying to say it's not a central part of the church's mission is just a staggering statement to me. Um, the the entire thrust of the Bible is a redeemed new earth for God's kingdom to come on heaven as in earth, God's just and righteous kingdom on the earth. Uh, and so to say that working towards that goal with broad statements like political activism is not a part of the church's mission is, is just, like I said, stunning and staggering to me. Um, and there's a there's a sweat and if you're familiar with these cultural movements you can you can see with tucked in this article is this slight kind of swipe at saying that laws can't change hearts which is very common rhetoric around certain issues um, but again uh, laws around abortion or marriage uh, they seem very generally speaking the people that are comfortable with this statement are also very comfortable contending for laws in those areas so it's not entirely clear to me where where to draw the lines um, especially when you're using such broad terminology um, there's an attempt to define heresy which <laughs> is is really tricky um, because again <laughs> in the uh, afterward to the statement, they say this is not meant to have any ecclesiastical authority, but then you're trying to define heresy, which is an ecclesi... For those of you who don't know the word ecclesiastical, that just means kind of like church church politics or church order. Defining heresy is an inherently ecclesiastical move, but then to say this is not doesn't have any ecclesiastical authority is, again, very confusing and very sloppy and not helpful. Um, and then, unsurprisingly, um, or maybe surprisingly, if you're not familiar with uh, these kinds of statements, this is connected, again, to the Nashville statement that came out, I think, a year or two ago. There's a very sudden pivot to sexuality and marriage, um, which is confusing because this is a statement on social justice, and a lot of the language has not indicated that, that they're going to talk about this. Um, but that's fine. You want to include a, se- a section on sexual ethics and marriage, and uh, that you know that's the prerogative of the writers of the statement. But wow, this is this gets really confusing because they uh, offhand deny the things like the fluidity of sexuality. Super complicated topic. They deny that the term gay Christian can be applied to people legitimately. That I read that and I just thought, what? I think my jaw hit the table. I was like, I can't believe I'm reading this right now. Uh, I mean, these are, um, you got to define what you are talking about. When you say something like the fluidity of sexuality is illegitimate, uh, what? Uh, the, I mean, all that fluidity of sexuality means is that people's sexuality can change over the course of their life, which that can be linked, that can be purely biological, like linked to the changes of your, how your hormones change through your life. Um, I mean, women who go through menopause experience some fluidity of sexuality as sexual urges change. I mean, this is, is just showing that they are not being careful with these terms. Um, you know, I could take a guess and say what they are really talking about when they say fluidity of sexuality. They're probably talking about things that are connected to issues like transgender people, or maybe gender dysphoria, but use those terms if that's what you're actually talking about. Um, this is very unhelpful. 
Um, there's a section on complementarianism. Uh, I won't comment on that. Um, uh, then there is uh, Article 12, which is the big article on race and ethnicity. Um, again, they deny some terms like uh, privileged oppressor or entitled victim, um, which, man, man, oh, man, that is loaded language. Uh, it just betrays a real lack of, of care and thoughtfulness with trying to be careful about what you're saying when you use terms like this. Um, and then, and wow, uh, Article 13, this was the one that I found probably the most staggering of all of them because they they name that there are cultures that can be, quote, inherently better than other cultures, uh, which maybe as a statement just totally on its own saying that some cultures can be better than others. I mean, I, I don't understand where where you define that. How do you measure something like that? I mean, that is a very, very, probably the most broad statement of all the broad statements in, in this whole thing, uh, which is, it's again, I keep using the word staggering, but it just feels staggering to me to read that. And especially coming from uh, people representing a certain culture to say that there are cultures that are inherently better than other cultures. I mean, you are walking into dangerously arrogant territory when you start to say things like that. Um, so he had a huge problem with this. And then finally, I'm going to say one more thing and then I'll end with some takeaways here. Cause I know I'm getting over my time. I'm just getting really, really passionate about this. Um, the racism article, which is the last one, uh, article 14, Yikes. Uh, it's clear in their definition of racism that it's all about personal attitude. They use a lot of language like con contempt, uh, prejudice, partiality towards how you treat people. Um, but then they bounce really quickly to naming systemic racism, um, which is confusing because they're only talking about kind of attitudes, but systemic racism is inherently bigger and not even really about personal attitudes. Systemic racism is about the question of are there certain racially defined groups that are historically privileged or or um, oppressed? I'll use that word um, underprivileged at least through society. Does that does that happen in systems and institutions that are bigger than individuals and therefore need to be addressed on an institutional level and cannot be even addressed on an individual level? That's the question of systemic racism. So to only talk about contempt and partial treatment and things like that, and then to blithely acknowledge systemic racism, it just does not actually make sense. It doesn't work together. Um, and then there's a broad sweep of, quote, lectures on social issues not being appropriate uh, in terms of preaching the gospel. And my question is, why in the world would you falsely pit those things against each other? Why make, quote, lectures on social issues an inherently anti-gospel thing to do? That just does not make sense to me and does not comport with well, the Bible. <laughs> the Bible addresses social issues all the time, and uh, you cannot so neatly separate these things. So it's really sloppy, really, really frustrating to read that. And uh, that's that takes me through this whole thing, and I want to end on a couple takeaways. I know I'm, I'm probably sound frustrated, and it's because I am. It's because this stuff is so frustrating to me, because I work on college campuses full-time, contending for the gospel, in academia, in university spaces, and uh, statements like this um, are, are so difficult for me to see, because I am uh, part of this evangelical messy movement, right? 
so a couple takeaways, three takeaways to be specific. First of all, I, I alluded to this a minute ago, but this feels deeply hypocritical to me um, because there is there is a ton of social activism and political activism that happens in the circles of ministry that's represented by the signers of this document. It's just selectively around issues like abortion and marriage. Um, so to uh, to to broadly rhetorically uh, lambast political activism and social activism and to say to pit it against the gospel while you engage in such things as gospel issues because the care of the unborn is always framed as a gospel issue so to to pit these things against each other is just it's really hypocritical and really really messy use of terminology which takes me to my second takeaway which is that there is messy and imprecise language all over this thing and it's just begging to be misunderstood and betrays a massive lack of of care and i don't know if i would say lack of knowledge because there's smart people that have signed this thing but at least it betrays uh, a sense that you don't care to be careful with the terms, right? It's like, you, I, I, don't, I don't care to be careful with the term intersectionality because I just have determined that the whole thing is not even worth my time. And man, oh man, that just grieves me to read. So uh, the, the imprecise language is such a dangerous thing, especially when you are releasing a written statement, which is all you have is language to work with when you release something like this, right? And so to be so not careful with your language in a statement that is only language is just a a mess. It's a disaster. Um, And finally, third and final takeaway, in addition to the hypocrisy and the messy and imprecise language, is that a final one for me, this is probably the most important one, this is just wildly, wildly, wildly tone deaf to our cultural moment right now. Um, Not only is it that bad by itself just to be tone deaf, um, but it shows just a really blunt lack of sensitivity to what our culture cares about. And to take the gospel to our culture means on some level, we have to care enough to engage with where the culture actually is. So yeah, you might have problems with critical race theory, but engage with it. If you are going to make a statement that addresses it specifically, engage with it in a way that shows that you know what it is you're talking about. This is how I hope to engage my entire ministry on college campuses ultimately so that Jesus can be well represented and the gospel can be proclaimed powerfully to those spaces to show that the gospel has something to say about the things you care about. Because I believe that proclaiming Jesus's kingdom does have something to say about everything in the world, because I believe that God is remaking the world precisely through the kingdom as formed by and inaugurated by Jesus. And so the gospel has something to say about everything that people care about. It's just up to us who carry the gospel and who are charged with it to do so in a way that represents Jesus well to the world. And this statement, I am sorry to say, it does not do that. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you enjoyed this brief 10-minute reflection, and I also hope that it provoked some deeper thinking and maybe even stirred up some questions for you. If you're interested in this kind of content, you can check out my website and my blog at joelwentz.com, and you can look me up on various social media outlets. And of course, you can always subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Take care.